This is CliffCentral.com. Okay, you can do your thing. Sing, sing, do your thing. You know you want to. Uh, this is not my genre. You don't like that? You don't like that song? What about this one? Can you sing this one, Rory? What song is this? This is not my genre. <laughs> Be easy. Help us. Spit on that mic. <laughs> uh, you guys are all useless, man. This is what people are listening to these days, and you don't know this stuff. What is it? You this sing. Is what touch central is. You sing. Problems and problems and problems. Hi, all doing? San Bonan, no to the show. It is, frankly speaking, for one hour, uh, talking about the issues facing you and, uh, I and everybody in South Africa. The discussions that we should be having, but aren't. Yeah, surfacing, surfacing the tough conversations, hot potato issues. Uh, that we are thinking about, maybe whispering about even, but uh, haven't yet had the platforms to speak about. And today we get to speak about one of those again. Well, last week we <clears throat> we had a very interesting discussion, didn't we? I mean, that was crazy. It's Some of the confusing. I, I'm not smart enough for those conversations, unfortunately. Jeez, I, you know, you know, when I hear the word intersectionality, I know that I'm way out of my depth. You know, <laughs> that's when I know I'm in trouble. Eh? Dude, like, there was a, there because was a... oh. There were there were some heavy words uh, uh, shared here, but and uh, heavy, I think like concepts. And yeah, thoughts. heavy heavy concepts. Um, and uh, so if you if you didn't join us uh, last week or if you missed it, you can catch it. Um, you can catch the podcast on cliffcentral.com. But uh, just to give a summary, we spoke about what does it mean to be black, and uh, we had Tato Mahano in studio, and uh, the conversation was very interesting. Uh, he raised a few things, um, you know, for example. Uh, blackness is a construct uh, that was created by white uh, whiteness, and of course that then raises the question: Why are we embracing it, or should we not be trying to abandon it? Um, there are a range of questions that 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 surfaced out of that conversation, and uh, because we were so confused uh, last week, uh, we thought that this week we should just uh, take a step back, look back at what was said last week, bring a few people into the studio that are a little bit smarter than you and me, Andrew, mm-hmm. uh, to help us to understand, because uh, you know we can we can plod on. Uh, but uh, we haven't actually addressed the initial thing that we actually confused by a lot that was said last week. Yeah, I mean, I think last week we were talking about black identity. What is black identity? What 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 is and isn't? And I felt like we we spent a lot of time talking about white privilege and white uh, constructs and and white this and and clearly it's it's such a complicated and nuanced issue. But I think that it would be interesting to see what our guests this morning uh, think about it. Um, Rory, if you, if you want to join the show and speak to us, please do get in touch. We had lots of comments. Me? Uh, not you. Why are you saying Rory? Well, um, your fans, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got your fans. No, zero. <laughs> uh, Twitter at Rory Shavalala and at Yebo underscore Levy as well as on uh, WeChat, cliffcentral.com. And let us know your thoughts. We had lots of people commenting on Facebook throughout. Um, throughout the week last week, of course, we've got that Frankly Speaking Facebook page. Check out some of the comments. They're very, very interesting. What were the big things that came out of last week's show for you, Ror? Like, What were the things that you were like, wow, egg tech? Well, it was this idea that we are not a homogenous grouping, but yet we are. 
<laughs> you know, that was it was really confusing. In to what say, way? You know, in what way? At, 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 at some stage, we are connected by the collective suffering uh, as black people. But as black people, we're not the same because uh, the, the, the story of a black... Uh, a black uh, gay person is different from the story of a black heterosexual man is different from the story of a black um, disabled person and so this idea of intersectionality was introduced which you and I struggle with right we I, I don't I don't know enough about it so it was that it was uh, the idea of uh, blackness being a response to whiteness which is fine if it's a response to whiteness then um does it mean that we are going to embrace this thing that comes from whiteness or are we going to define blackness as an entity in and of itself that exists outside of whiteness and, and, and how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there was stuff that was raised about, um, uh, one of the things that bring us together is this collective investedness in undoing white supremacy. Um, again, we're talking about what it means to be black, but we, we then speak about white supremacy. So those sorts of things, I think, uh, raised a lot of questions uh, that need to be raised. Of course, you also asked a question, Andrew, on um, uh, whether whether we recognize. So on the black side, we want individuals, but on the white side, we want collectives. We say white people need to sort themselves out. But mm-hmm. wait a minute. As a black person, I've got my own individual identity in relation to the next black person. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I'm just I'm looking forward to getting into it. Who are we speaking to today? So uh, today we've got the lovely pleasure of having two women in the studio mm. with us because we've been criticized in the previous show. Like, you see, look at this. And it's just a studio full of men. Um, so today we thought, you know what, let's, let's, let's get women's perspective on this. We've got Pumi Mashekho. She is the host of Umandla, which comes at 10 to 11 a.m. on cliffcentral.com. Um, she's here. She's going to give us her informed and wise opinion, as she always does. I think she's going to beat us. No, but she always does. No, but she's going to beat she us. She always does before the show. Uh, this time we've brought her on. You see, she's already so getting to the market. Say, <laughs> I, I am going to say that as a black mother, when you're out of line, yes. that's exactly what you do. You Beat the child. Okay. I love That's it. What you you see? See? I love it as a black mother. You so it means this blackness. This yeah. blackness attributes certain things. Uh-huh. Attributes certain things to the mother that cause her to beat the child. Mm-hmm. So it would be good to investigate what is it about this blackness of being a mother. It's Black children are out of order and they need to be beaten with the sword. <laughs> <laughs> Again, black children. So children aren't out of order. Black, what is special about it? You see, this is going to be a very interesting show. And then we've got Nozipom Banjoa. She is, amongst other things, uh, the CEO of uh, the talent firm. And uh, they spend a lot of time speaking about black talent. So it will be very interesting to understand uh, what does black talent mean uh, in, 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 in contrast to just talent. Uh, and, and what does the black in front of talent? So everything that we prefix with black, we assume has a certain quality that is different from the thing just not being prefixed. So it will be very interesting to get into it. But I think the first question, uh, I was Wait, hold on. Nozipa's also like a hardcore <laughs> broadcaster. She's an MC. She spits on the mic all the time. Hello, Nozipo. Good morning. Thank you, Andrew. You know what uh, I mean? You know? You know, like it's, just because you're nice a CEO be and hardcore like that doesn't mean we must, uh, you know. Thank you. Intersectionality, Rory. You must remember that word. It's you see, yeah. you're just proving that you also yeah. didn't understand. You're just but like me. Here, <laughs> just like me. And then, of course, we've got Be Easy in the studio. 
studio. Uh, uh, Bulelane is also joining us. Um, Bulelane, good morning. Morning, guys. Morning, morning. Bulelane is he is our, so excited is to be here. He's excited to be here. He's a hotshot producer. Complains every week about not wanting to be here, and somehow he shows up every single week. Alsupumi, uh, help us. You've now raised a lot of. I'm sure our listeners are listening. What do you mean that black children are out of order? What do you mean? You are raising a black child. What does what does that mean? Is blackness even a thing, or are you just raising a child? You know, ne. <laughs> now that you've like set me up by <laughs> saying all this wisdom. Yes. <laughs> Last week I sat outside the booth here and I listened into your show with with shock and awe mm. for the most part because I kept thinking, why are you making this thing so complicated? Mm-hmm. Who you are is who you are. Mm-hmm. What you look in the mirror and see is who you are and how you behave and the set of constructs around how you are raised is who you are. Mm. So to to then try and contrast that in relation to white people and whiteness is such utter bullshit. Right. Because because in reality as you as you are living your life every day you don't live your life going what do white people think about me? Mm. What do white people <laughs> see when they see me what do because you you're making lots of decisions tiny ones and big ones mm. and those are all based on your own life experience sure at some point it has intersectionality <laughs> <laughs> right with other races and other people and and lots of other things but the core of who you are cannot be divorced from what you see when you look at yourself but would you not say then that uh, the the core of of your activities during the day are can be defined to a large extent by the fact that you're black the fact that you are waking up in a township and getting into a taxi and traveling to work in a taxi and so on those are uniquely black experiences so the fact in that South you Africa. are black in South Africa yes so so is is it as easy as just saying who you are is who you are or the experience, the lived experience is, is a very black experience. You see, and, and for me, one of the things that then becomes a problem with philosophizing mm. the reality is that it, it gives excuses to not doing what you need to do or what you want to do or what you have to do. Mm. It gives an excuse because suddenly there is an other that can be held accountable mm. for the reason that, that you are, you are doing that. And then, if if I haven't, I have to get on get in a taxi. Our grandmothers had to get in taxis, guys. You know, our mm-hmm. grandmothers had to get in taxis. Our great great, you know, all of those people, and yet they raised us, and yet they raised our parents, and yet they were they lived through that entire experience, and went. What do I have to do? What do I need to do to get to the next place? Mm. So L- let me let me just before just before we get uh, you well, in, uh, because uh, I yeah. see uh, yeah, no no no, you're itching. I just want to I just want to close the loop on you. So is this a question worth asking? So or should we? Sh- is this just a question, a frivolous type of a conversation to have? Rory, what does it mean to be black? Uh, I'm turning off your mic. Ah. I, got, it's got I don't think house. you should close the loop. I don't <laughs> think you should close yeah. the loop because I think it's a question that we, and a problem <laughs> yeah. we need to sit in. <laughs> Sorry, um, I mean, you said love. That's a naughty love. <laughs> Carry on, please, Nazir. I really so there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of I think uh, issues that I have with the conversation and the way it started. The first thing I think it is complicated. 
And the reason why I say blackness is complicated is because I think blackness is not a race issue alone. I think there's a difference between um, blackness as a race construct and also the pressure of black issues. So, for example, the black experience isn't solely confined to waking up in a township, taking a taxi and um, going to work uh, somewhere in Santon or Randburg. The black experience can also mean waking up in Houghton, um, getting into a BMW 5 Series and going to your offices in Melrose. And there too, when you get there, you're then suddenly uh, given this platform of having to be the torchbearer of black issues. Black issues that you actually might not even care about. Mm. Um, I'll give you an example as a broadcaster on a channel that has, that is seen in the, in the public eye as predominantly white. There's that perception that because you're black, you're going to be the person when the issue of black hair comes out, uh, on the social uh, seen that you're going to be the torchbearer of that issue. You're going to take up the black issue. So it, I think blackness is complicated because even when you are not actively in the arena of trying to define yourself as black against white, there's an expectation that there are black issues that you're going to stand up for. And when you choose not to, there's an expectation that that means you're choosing something else. And what that something else isn't quite clear, and it's not always as clear as I'm just choosing to be me. So, you know, when I, uh, when in fact it was so weird because when the, the, the Pretoria Girls High issue happened, I had an afro. And it just so happened that as it broke, I happened to be in the salon uh, doing braids. And when I came back, it was a bit of a confusing thing because suddenly my colleagues were like, but nosy the... The, the girls are up in arms in Pretoria about Afros and you've just gotten rid of your Afro. Do, isn't it important for you to go back and, and, and for me, it was, exactly. it, 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 for me, it went back to, yes, I am black, but maybe I don't care <laughs> that people actually uh, are up in arms about Afros. And maybe I have, I want braids for other reasons and maybe braids are black in one way or the other and maybe they're not. And so it is complicated because I think to a large extent, as a black person, we have to ask the question um, and address the issue of blackness because blackness doesn't only happen to you. It happens around you. It it defines you. It it makes and unbreaks you all at once. And so it does matter. And it is complicated. And it's not always a choice. And I think you might be born black, but you might not necessarily want to be black. And that's a whole conversation that I'm very Whoa. happy to have. You see, and that's Whoa. exactly, that, okay. this is, this, this is, is good. this is precisely my point about the fact that who you are and who you see in that mirror is what makes you, and the core of who you are is what makes you black. And if you, if you carry on looking at yourself and experiencing life, thinking, looking back, going, what are people going to say? You would have been sitting in that hair salon going, oh, I'm not, I'm no longer doing an, mm. I don't know what to do with my hair now. You know what I'm mm, saying? Mm. But, but you could sit there and look at yourself in that mirror and say, right, I'm ready for my braids now without having to. And when the colleagues, and, and this is the thing for me about philosophizing mm-hmm. who you are and, and your blackness in relation to whiteness, in relation to heterosexual, in relation to is that you're suddenly no longer living your best life. And if you have, if you are confronted by people who then say, Mara is a black girl, you can respond to those people. If you are living your best life, if you are confident in who you are, you can respond to those people with a, I actually don't care. 
I actually don't care and it doesn't bother you and you can walk away. You can drop the mic and walk away. You mm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But the issue for me around all of this philosophy and making a homogenous group a non-homogenous is the fact that you you are not living your life because you are t- looking around your shoulder saying, what do people think about me and my blackness? But and is, that's is rubbish. There, is there a pressure to both of you, you know, to bring this in, we're, we're speaking about what it means to be black on Cliff Central and frankly speaking, we'd love to hear from you as well. But to, to, to your point in Pumi and Nozipo, is there a moment in time that you felt where someone's looking at you and thinking, oh, she's not black enough? You know what I mean? Like she's lost her blackness because she drives the five series. And that, that story seemed quite, uh, I love that question. (laughs) I I love that question because I actually think we've been asking the question in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, when people talk about, you know, are you black enough? And it goes back to the earlier, one of the earlier points Rory raised that I also want to challenge. Uh, what that came up from the show last week. I'm not sure there is a collective sense amongst black people that we're all collectively fighting white supremacy when there's a huge chunk of the black population that aspires to whiteness. Mm. So if you dismantle the thing that has been the benchmark of success, the thing that has been the benchmark of quality, right or wrong, but that has held its place in society as the, as the, the most dominant model of success, the most visible touchable, smellable view of what it means to make it. And if you begin to dismantle that, it you actually begin to create a blur for the aspirations of many black people. I'll give you an example. When when black people start thinking that, um, in fact, let me give a practical example. Um, l- this past weekend, I went to a comedy show. In fact, it was Friday evening uh, at Parker's. And there was a black uh, comedian, a very famous black uh, female comedian uh, who's doing very well. Tumi Morak. I will not say names. <laughs> and um, as I watched the show, I, for a second, had to almost verify myself that, wow, am I really watching a black comedian making fun of blackness and of black people for the laughs of white people? And to commercialize the art of what she was doing. And I think the penny landed for me on Friday because I actually realized that white supremacy serves a purpose, even for black people. And in this particular instance, it was a commercial purpose. She understands the market that when she takes her content and leans it towards white interest and even goes as far as mocking, uh, black people as black as she may be with braids and, uh, I don't know what they, what they call it, brush cut, that thing that Be Easy has, uh, and braids on top and, and still coming out as, you know, I, 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 I'm more on the white side than on the black side. It, it actually meets its commercial interest. Now, if that commercial market didn't exist, that commercial market of white people wanting to hear black people do that, would she have a place, a marketplace to go and sell that product to? I'm not saying that's the only way you do comedy, but I actually realized that I don't think there's an army of blackness wanting to dismantle whiteness when whiteness still for a large part of white black people one represents opportunity, two represents a commercial, um, a commercial opportunity, and for others just a social, a social aspiration. I'm so That's glad. Just me. I'm so glad we're having this right now because this is categorically different to last week, isn't it? I'm still confused. 
I feel like you guys are contradicting yourselves, mm. Pumi and Nozipo. What is bring it? You? you guys are you guys are contradicting yourselves. Why? So, so in the one sense, we started off with look. I, I don't want to embrace blackness um, as as this as this philosophical construct and so on. I'm just I just want to live my best life as an individual. But then we're we're referencing blackness as well and saying uh, we need to deconstruct whiteness. So. Is whiteness now a thing that is allowed to exist, but blackness isn't? So I, I'm still trying. I'm still battling to say, okay. No, so let me borrow your brain Let me borrow your brain Wait, wait. And to understand, and to understand again. So I'm still confused. Wait, wh- Should we be having this conversation, no, or, some, or is it a frivolous all, conversation? We're not on. We're not. Sta- Pumi and I are not um, standing on the same page. That's the first thing but that you need okay. to understand, and that's okay. But so don't. Don't don't try and create one line in the Andrew, sand. Andrew's there are there, there are multiple lines uh, <laughs> in the sand here because there are multiple positions. And 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 Pumi has been very clear about articulating her position about let's not philosophize, let's live. Mm. And what I'm saying is that I'm not even getting into whether there's value or no value in philosophizing the conversation. What I'm saying is that we need to understand there are no one lines drawn in the sand. Here. It is exceptionally complicated. And and oh, and there, there are a lot of assumptions that we're making about this big Shaka Zulu army that we are trying to deconstruct whiteness. And I'm saying that army doesn't actually exist. Ask Pumi. Mm. No, we're not. <laughs> so there there are multiple facets to this particular conversation, and and we have had you, myself, and. Andrew, <laughs> why are you going to do that? <laughs> no, I'm just making sure you know. You know that I understand. That I understand. <laughs> no, you speak very well. You speak very well. Is that there are multiple conversations around this issue that need to be had, and what tends to happen is that every single conversation gets stacked on each other. So you, you, you're not, and which is why Nozi and I have. A, are both having the this conversation, but from different perspectives, yeah. yeah. And and what we're both saying, Rorisang, mm, is that okay. the conversation is important. Mm. The conversation needs to be had. The conversation needs to be had on multiple levels, and it needs to be, kind uh, what was that word? Deconstructed. Yes. Yeah. Deep. Dip, <laughs> dip. <laughs> but what? Dip. I'm just gonna say because everyone else is And that the importance of it leads to various realizations about what it is that you are dealing with, and and for me. When you start the conversation out based on last week's show, I'm just saying that y'all are just like making this thing very highfalutin. Yes. Right? Yes. It's like, I agree. I agree. And, and at some point, you have to bring it down to the level of the people and the way that our lived experiences are. And then you begin to have conversations like what Nozi is saying that then says, as you are living this experience in the workplace, you have a particular experience of living. And then you are what is imposed on you about who you are and how you should be mm. is a particular way. Or in order to succeed, which is what I'm hearing you say about the comedian, in order to succeed, you need to play a particular role in order to make that Blackness suddenly work for you Depending on where you are mm. You know, depending on where mm. you are mm. And and what I'm For me 
one of the things that if, if I leave you with absolutely nothing else, because you asked me the question of raising my son, mm. and you asked the question about black enough, Andrew, and I'm saying to you, for me, this is not a conversation to be had for me. Why? Because I have a level of confidence in who I am that that transcends all of these things. When people come to me and say, oh, but you're in advertising, it's predominantly white, right? I'm like, yeah, so <laughs> I, have found, I have found my niche in that place and which works with my conscience. Similarly, when I raise my son, I raise him with a level of confidence that says you do not, you do not need permission to be who you are. You do not need another person to say to you, your name should be pronounced in this manner. You do not need another person to ascribe to you who you are and how you should be and how you should be living and experiencing your life. The fact that you come from Northcliffe and not from Pimville has absolutely nothing to do with who you are and who you, who you can be. And one of the things that for me is a very sad thing about the reality of race relations in South Africa today is that we have taken away that confidence from our children. We have taken away that confidence from our children. So whether it is in the way that media portrays who we are, in the way that parents portray who, who they are, all of that is we have taken away the confidence. We have taken away the confidence of a Miriam Makeba who could go all the way to the United States and arrive there with her short hair and make black Americans feel that they want short hair like her. We have taken away the confidence of a Huma Sigela who played the trumpet in a particular way and who could go and teach jazz to the people that we seem to believe is where jazz comes from. We have taken away that confidence from our children. And by taking that confidence away from them we have made them lesser lesser of who they can be and they are always looking over their shoulder saying what can I do black people, white people, white people white you know, white, white capital won't let me be, won't let me do this, won't let me succeed simply because we are giving them a construct that says you can only be black in relation to white people and that is absolutely not true. And again, we are not one, one homogenous group of people. So I am Mkwanazi. And the way that I do what I do is completely different to the way that Kumalos do what they do. We are all Zulus. You mm. know what I'm saying? Mm. And yet we are all different. Mm. And for a very long time, we could live... My earphones well. are gone. But for a very long time, we could live comfortably... In, in that difference, in that being different from each other and being okay with being different from each other and celebrating ourselves for who we are. Mm. And I'm just saying that, you know, the problem with this kind of this is, philosophical uh, but, is but, but what, what do you do then about your son who goes into, so if he was to come home, for example, and not want to pronounce uh, his name in the way that you have named him, and pronounce it in, let's say, a very... I'll give you an example. There was a young man that I met who was eight years old, and I asked him what his name was, and he said, Kaya. And mm-hmm. I said, excuse me, Kaya. Mm-hmm. And I said, please spell it for me. And he said, K-H-A-Y-A. Kaya. Yes. So so if he does that and that he chooses that that is his best life, is that okay? That's what he chooses. Mm. But what I do know is that by the time he is eight years old, 
right? I'm not going to be teaching an eight-year-old how to be saying his name. <laughs> his name yeah. He's been hearing me say his name since he was like yeah. zero. You know what I'm saying? So he has he he has a particular benchmark, and that comes from home, guys. Mm. By Ch- the time that mm. by the time his friends at school are calling him Kyra, right? Mm. He said <laughs> everybody in his family calling <clears throat> him Kaya, and so now he must ask himself if everybody in my family is calling me this way have they been calling me incorrectly all along mm. and it's important to then have the conversation with our children so here's something interesting to me because um there's this idea of of what white people think black people should be but there's i think equally an idea of what black people think black people should be right and i'll give you an example just from my perspective and again observational stuff here so please prove me wrong if i am wrong um but this idea of Musima Imani specifically and his accent. A lot of people went up which in one? arms. Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> but you see, I'm just the checking. Which no, one? No, but here's the point. All there's of them. the rural, rural yeah. accent no, and then but, there's the suburban but, but accent. Here's the thing, right? <laughs> because here's the problem. Because Kaya or, or Kaya, Kaya, right? He will say different, he'll speak to people differently. And that's part of his individuality. Now we should celebrate that, right? But we don't. And like black Twitter specifically went crazy. Which accent are you on now? Was he mm. tell me, who are you speaking to right now? Is it, is it your Cape Town friends or is it your Harankua friends? Tell us which one are you speaking to right now? But that's oh, but I, 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 no, 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 I don't think it's, I don't think it's different. Um, this is the problem we're trying to, that we're problematizing around when it comes to black talent. And it, I think it ties in with the point that Pumi raised earlier about, um, being black in relation to whiteness. What we're trying to get to is black, young black people who are whole in their wholeness. Whether you choose to be, uh, you know, to prefix yourself as black, but you are whole. And what we have found is that as we, as we traverse in society and as we, for example, go into the labor market, we begin to learn that there's certain elements of blackness that don't fit into the environment that we go into. So we learn how to mute certain elements of who we are. And 99.9% of the time, those elements are black, black constructs that don't work in the white environment. Mm-hmm. And so, I, as a personal example, when I moved, I used to go, my first primary school was a, a, a colored school and we used to call them colored schools before 94. And in 94, I moved to what was then a white school. And because I went to a colored school, I had a very thick colored accent. I grew up in a colored township. But even at the age of nine, I picked up very quickly that I, I picked up very quickly that I had to learn to speak white for me to actually be accepted in the new environment. And without anybody sitting me down and saying, you need to stop pronouncing, you know, milk in this way and start saying, you know, you can't say hair, you have to say hair. I, I made that transition. And this is what happens to black people in South Africa. And as we move in particular in the corporate environment, we quickly figure out the things about us that don't work in the, in that environment. And oftentimes those things are the things that uh, are unique to our black experiences and we learn to mute them and amplify and learn new behaviors that are to a large extent white behaviors that give us acceptance 
in that new environment and and in particular once we gain the acceptance uh that's when we become the brown-eyed girls and boys in that environment and what we're saying is that there's a space for whole individual individuals with their whole experiences uh and a whole person is far more valuable in any corporate setting than a person who's trying to mimic being somebody else Eight hours of the day. And that's the problem with Moose's accents. That's the problem that, that black Twitter picks up on with Moose's accents. Because Moose's accents are actually not him being himself. It is him endearing himself to mm. his white masters. So if Musi came to Harangua and spoke to people in Setswana or spoke to people in Sepedi, it would be a wholly different experience. But he arrives there with his white guys, with the way that the white people want to see him as being. And why in the hell, when you are Musi Maimane at a rally in Soweto, are you having a conversation in what you in what is termed in advertising black English? But why he, in the hell? Because why he's is living he not his having, best life. But why is he not having a? <laughs> but why I is he not understand. having a? Why is he not having a conversation with people mm-hmm. in a language that they understand? Mm-hmm. So he's living his best self mm-hmm. in relation to the wrong target audience. When you are coming to me. In my township, and you are now going to speak to me in what is deemed black English. Like, why? Why are you talking to me in black English? Yeah. Well, there's a whole other set of languages that, that we, we could be speak, using, yeah. and that's the problem with his accents. Mm. It's the fact that he's transversing these accents, not for the benefit of the people he is talking to, but for the benefit of the people he is trying to endear himself to. And on that note, guys, before you take me down, I have to go get ready for my show, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're the best. I only said that last bit. Thank you. I only said the last little bit of that because that was in like... In black English. (laughs) It was in white English. Oh, was that in white English? (laughs) Yeah, it was in white English. Aspumi, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you for coming in and further confusing us in a very meaningful way that's going to just help us to dig deeper into this issue. Ah, rata too. Like, rata. You be like, go away in black English. I love, I love you too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you just stop the loving and can we get over this show, please? <laughs> We're talking about what it means to be black. We've been speaking to Mpumi Mashekho. She's from Omandla. You can catch her on uh, Cliff Central. After, frankly speaking, uh, we've got Nozipo uh, Mbanjwa. Um, she is the CEO of what's that firm called, Rory? The talent firm. The talent firm. Said in white English. The talent, so I can understand. <laughs> I didn't hear it because Rory was speaking some other English. Uh, the talent firm. She is a very decorated uh, broadcaster, MC, and uh, boy, has she been putting Rory Sang in his place. You see, which I like. You know, there's not many people that put him in this place. Look, he doesn't have anything to say now. What is my place, Andrew? Your place uh, is down there. Intersectionality. I'm very the uh, <laughs> oh, intersectionality. Oh, oh. Let me hear the view of a white person about okay. what my place is. white person must sit down over there. <laughs> 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 must listen to that. <laughs> Guys, I want, I want to just, I just want to pick up on the point that uh, Pumi raised when she was leaving around um, the audience that Musi needs to play to. And I just, I, I think there's something to learn. Uh, from that because I think for Musi to occupy the position uh, that he has which which version of who he is did he have to present to 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 then one make it into the DA to rise up the ranks into the DA and then to be positioned as the 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 magnet that will connect us with the black people Mm. and I think that's not a uniquely Musi Maimani experience 
I think it's an experience that is quite common uh, for lots of black South Africans. But then so it, isn't that a black experience? Isn't that black identity that there's this idea that in this country, so now, now I'm just talking about South Africa, mm. not even Africa, not America, not the world, just South Africa, that part of the black experience is when you, when you have to exist in these white constructs, okay, be it capital, be it politics, be it school systems, that there's a part of you that has to be, I think you, the, the word or term used is dulled down or changed. Isn't that now the new experience, the new narrative? The narrative isn't about taking taxis and going back home and saying the right things and doing the right thing. It, this is the new narrative, is it not? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit cautious about um, giving it the place of the new narrative. But what I would say is that we almost need to go back to what is it about me that doesn't work in this particular environment? So, for example... Nothing, just by the way. We, we would love it to be nothing, right? We would love it to be nothing. I would love it to be able to wake up as a black person, uh, keep my accent in, in whatever way that I choose to, to, to speak, walking into that environment and, and, and have my full experience of self and deliver my full experience of self as part of the team and still have equal opportunity, uh, versus Brian and Jane who come in with their own full experiences. And unfortunately, that's just not the reality. And the issue is actually doesn't sit just within the person. The issue sits in multiple places. So on the one hand, you have an issue of a culture that hasn't transformed, a corporate culture that is still stuck on. This is what we know. What we know is that if you come in and you're able to speak good English, you're actually able to engage with clients. You're able to drive sales. You're able to drive revenue. Um, and if you understand the, the way we do things here, so we'll, you'll hear a lot of companies talking about um, let's say the company was called uh, LG, the LG way, right? So what does the LG way actually mean? And to a large extent, the LG way is actually couched in a lot of cultural nuances. And it might mean learning the unspoken language as well. Learning that actually, you know what, what we do um, on Fridays after work is that we all go out to the Baron, as an example, and we all chill and we... The amount of free advertising that's busy going on. I know. Uh, Electronics uh, company, uh, restaurant uh, company. I, I haven't advertised. Like <laughs> I said, listen. So, so you learn, you learn, you, you then have to learn that there's a certain culture, uh, that works in that place. And corporate culture stays stagnant because they know that's what works for them. So they want black people who can quickly assimilate into that culture so that they can be valuable as they execute on their strategy. Now, if you come in as a black person, you come in with your hard Zulu accent, you you have, you might have uh, mastered the English language, but you haven't mastered the art of communicating with the client, the kind of clients that they want to bring in. You're not going to be an asset. So you very quickly learn that I need to be less Zulu and more whatever white looks like and more whatever the corporate culture of this place looks like for me to be an asset. What would you being your full you waking up and not worrying about the LGs and the Barons and the rugby score on the weekend, what would that look like? It would. How look, would you be different? It, it, in, in fact, it starts off with the playing field that I'm stepping into. If the, if the playing field is repositioned as a space that is where difference is celebrated, where multiculturalism and multiracialism exists and is celebrated, where I'm not the only one who's different. In fact, you too, as a white person, you're different. 
I can also reach out and like touch you and feel your hair and ask you about what on earth do you do? To, why on earth do you have a bun on top of your head? Where does that <laughs> I knew come this from? Was right? I knew this was and let's, <laughs> let's have a conversation about that. But I think that was, I, I think what, what needs to happen in South Africa, and I think it started slowly happening is that as we begin to challenge, um, systems, institutions and structures as they stand, we also begin to challenge the cultures that keep those places alive. And as you challenge those spaces, you what you want to create is a space where multiculturalism and multiracialism actually exists, where difference is celebrated, where me in my whole self, I'm, I'm able to walk into that space and you as your whole self can walk into that space without this assumption that your culture and your whiteness is the dominant or the hegemony that we all have to now uh, subscribe to to be accepted. And together we co-create whatever the corporate culture needs to be. Uh, so I, I hear you. Um, but again, I think oh, oh, you're deepening. That that's a problem. I think you're deepening my confusion um, because we speak about this. So earlier on, it was you know you said something about you know yes I walk in, but maybe I don't care about hair. Maybe maybe those are not the, the struggles that define my life and and what I want to be fighting about on the basis of being black. But then I walk into an environment like that that won't let me flourish as myself. It won't let me bring in my Zulu accent. It won't let me live my best life. Uh, then what do I do? So, so if I'm not going to pick up on the struggle and, 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 and confront it, um, what do I do? Is my only option then to, to become Kaya as opposed to Kaya? Uh, what then must I do? Because now on the one hand, you're saying, Hey, live your best life. Okay, my best life is to speak with a very hard Zulu accent. That is my best life. Now I'm walking into an environment that won't let me flourish with that strong Zulu accent. Now what must I do? Now I have to that environment I might not I might come in not seeing myself as black, but the moment I walk in there I am quickly reminded that I am different. And a lot of that difference exists in my identity as a black person. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't there when it happened. I wasn't there when the decisions were made. I'm not there when the, the culture is being reinforced, but I walk into this place as somebody who sees myself, as Alpumi said, as somebody who sees himself as the person he saw in the mirror, as just human. But then I walk into an environment that immediately says I'm different. But this goes back to the point I was making to Andrew now, is that we need to be careful of not, you know, when we talk about black talent, I think automatically people want to gravitate towards the, the issue of what's wrong with black talent. And there's a, there's a lot wrong with talent in general. There's a long, there's a lot wrong with the approach that millennials have to the world of work. I will be easy in general, right? But what I'm saying is that we also need to work on the environment. This is where we have to push back against the systems and the institutions and open up the space for multicultural spaces and multiracial corporate spaces but and the, environments. It's not something that we can achieve over a day, but it's not an ideal that we, we don't have to fight towards. So the, the, let me use the, the, the brain cell that you borrowed me. Yeah. Um, to, to then <laughs> and you're already halfway to, through And it. then to challenge, yes, to use it to challenge you because now I am I'm smart enough to challenge you. So if that's going to happen, it hasn't happened so far, mm. and it hasn't certainly hasn't happened out of the the, the volition of of just uh, you know 
white people wanting the the places to be diverse and so on. So if it's going to happen, it's going to require a push, yeah. an external force from somewhere, because it certainly isn't happening in, from an internal uh, an internal transformation. So it needs to happen from outside. Now, earlier on you said, maybe these are not my battles to fight, but is it not our responsibility as black middle class, who are the exception in these environments and not the rule, to pick up the fight for those who are not... Because it's very easy for you and me to say... That's not my battle to fight because I am now in a position where it no longer matters. I have gained some sort of legitimacy and validity within those environments that have allowed me to transcend in the eyes of others, uh, you know, all of these things that even if I've got this and that, it's no longer ascribed to me being black. It's just my personality and so on. But there are millions of others who are not where we are. You and I are the exception. Is it not my responsibility, even if I don't care about black hair then, to take that up? I don't, I don't have an afro. I don't, I, I don't have braids. But I see this as my battle to fight, not for myself, but for all those who don't have the platforms. So I think we need to go back to what I like to call the burden of blackness. And the burden of blackness almost suggests that every every black issue that's going to be thrown up in uh, societal conversation, you have to latch onto that issue and 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 be a champion and a torchbearer for that issue. And my argument is that you you will actually begin to dilute even your own impact uh, when everything that comes up is everything that you're going to latch onto. Pick your battles and fight those meaningful. What if all my battles are, no, are wait, related to blackness? So let me give let me let me let me give you an illustrative example. Um, first of all, I don't think blackness is a homogenous thing. Um, we know we talk about black people not being homo- homogenous as a group. Got it. But blackness is not homogenous as well, which means there are certain black issues that you can't assume that just because that's a black issue, I'm going to care about it. As an individual, it might not even resonate with my value system. I might actually be very much for making sure that there are hard and stringent rules in schools um, for to keep hair tidy, whether it's about make sure that you cornrow your afro or whatever the case may be. Don't assume that because I'm black that every black issue under the sun is going to resonate with my value system and the things that matter to me. And that's a huge mistake that we make um, not only as as black people where you find yourself thin, caring about things that you don't necessarily care about, but also also having the expectation laid on you. So let's go back to the fees must fall as an example. Mm-hmm. Black South Africans in corporate, you've got your degree. You are now working. You're dealing with this corporate culture that is defining you every day. I didn't see young black people in walking out and streaming out of their offices, going to protest for the fees must fall movement, which in its very nature, I think, is mo- not just about the cost of uh, accessing higher education. It's also about the cost of higher education for black students, because the large majority of those students who are locked out of the uh, of first year are essentially black. And it makes it a black issue. But black issues are far and wide. And that doesn't mean that now we have to shun um, the black people who are in corporate South Africa who haven't stepped out to go and support the fees must fall movement. There are other black issues that they are fighting in those, in those environments every day. And that for me is an example about how black issues are not homogenous and, and there is this thing called the black burden. And it, what it, it thins us out trying to care about everything under the sun. And maybe you do care, but you probably don't have the capacity to 
to take your eyes off the ball and just now be the bo- the bearer of all things that are black. Choose your black struggle and 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 make a difference and an impact in that space. But if you are now going to leave this conversation, we're not going to have frankly speaking next week because you want to go stand at the gates in Pretoria. Who's looking after this? And that's the question that I'm trying to come and back to you. So, Andrew. Uh, yes. <laughs> and that's the thing that I think, Rory, you need to reflect on as well. You know, I'm, I'm quiet this show. This series I've been quiet on because it's, it's fascinating to hear. But I think one of the things that, that I personally am interested in around this black burden, Nozipa, that you speak about. And if you've just joined us, we're, we're speaking, we're in a series here on what is blackness and frankly speaking, fascinating discussion here. Uh, Nozipa Mbanjo joins us. We had Mpumi Mashecho a little earlier as well. Um, is this idea of the black burden almost being a front for white fragility. I know I'm bringing the white thing in here. You see, because I'm white, I have to I have to represent in some way or form, you know. Let's go back to a show we did a little while ago on the white tip. You all remember that when that white waitress yes. got a few words said to her. She cried and then 100,000 rand went her way. Thank you very much. Um, there was a gentleman by the name of Sihle. And Sihle, by his own definition, was a libertarian. What that means, who knows? But basically, I see myself as an individual, mm-hmm. right? And he felt the need to help out this white waitress because he felt sorry for her, which is absolutely fine. It's a human condition. It's a human feeling. What then transpired was a whole bunch of people who then used Seatler's agenda to fuel their own agenda. Um, and then he became almost the poster boy for that agenda. You see, even black people feel like this was wrong and that this was horrible and that this was, you know, done badly. So when you don't stand up for the fees must fall, when you don't stand up for the hair issue, uh, if you go against it and you say, I, I, I do feel like there's neatness that is needed within that space, it almost then but backs you up the space. Neatness, according to who? Well, here Nozipo is talking about neatness according to her. Yeah. And she's a female and she's black. So there's a difference there, right? But people then will clasp onto that and then use their own definition of what neatness is and say, but you see, Nozipo, my colleague at work, she also thinks mm. that uh, it's uh, neatness is needed in schools and she's black. But, you <laughs> see, but, but that's exactly the point. And I think I'm glad that Ray, Rory raised neatness according to who. Why is why would we make the assumption that when we talk about neatness, we're talking about a white thing? Have we not been neat in? I mean, my goodness, when we grew up, when you had to polish the the, the floors with the red polish until they shone, that I mean, neatness is an authentically black thing. We are clean people. Now, I don't understand why um, person coming out and saying, "Look, if we're going to have, if your afro is long enough to cornrow it." Um, and to plait it. Let's do that. I'm not asking you to put a hair extensions. I'm not asking you to relax your hair. I'm not asking you to put chemicals in your hair. I'm saying that as a school, this is, uh, we want a level of neatness. And even if the neatness, if there are white kids in that school and we feel that when your hair reaches your bum, it takes away from an, a general element of neatness that we want to have in the school, then we, we, we put those rules in. What, what I'm, I'm worried about is that there's a possibility that we could be raising a generation that is going to be totally disregarding the rules in future. So let's not confuse the conversation of neatness with doing away with the rules. 
and that's my gripe uh, that I've had with the with the Pretoria conversation. I I have looked at the pictures uh, of that young lady's uh, young lady's afro, and she actually has a headband in the front, which actually does create a sense of neatness. It's away from her face. It's not anywhere else. What I what I would be totally against is someone saying, "No, you've got to relax your hair." Or you've got to put in an extension to it. But asking her to make it neater, and if neater is maybe cornrow it, that's a black thing. Rory. What? <laughs> <laughs> I see I see you. No, it's it's look, again, confusing uh and, and complicated thing because we we ascribe so this thing of it must be out of your face and so on. Those are those are those are white notions, right? Because our black people's hair just doesn't go into our faces, even if we were to try, right? So even so, it, it's important, I think, for us to look and say where do where do these notions of neatness? Why do we even have a conversation about neatness if you look at a person in an afro? At which point did, if you say that's not neat, then what is? Because that's how her hair is growing. You know, so these are these are things that I think are, are part of this conversation and and important for us to understand because I genuinely believe uh, that as a black as a black male uh, who doesn't grow his hair beyond uh, even a centimeter, I still have to carry that. I have to carry the torch for that girl who ca- who, who grows an afro because I am in the privileged position to be able to do that. You have uh, a voice. That can I be have heard. a voice that that many don't. So <clears throat> I don't have the luxury I feel to sit out certain conversations, even though they have absolutely nothing to do with me. So in the <clears throat> same way, and this is interesting, Nazibo, picking up from last week's show, in the same way that Andrew, as a white person, needs to share that collective responsibility of looking at <clears throat> how we change society from a white perspective, you're saying that there's a collective responsibility that you face as a middle-class white guy. A Black f- guy. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> a fraudulent slip there. Not there. Not there. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Um, as a, as a middle-class black guy, mm. <laughs> apologies, that there's a collective responsibility too in order to that, – that you carry a torch for blackness. But it's flawed. It is so flawed. It is this, you know, this, this whole idea of the Nozis and the Rorys who are in privileged positions picking up the issues for people who perhaps don't have the voice is in itself so flawed because what are, what are the type of issues that we're actually fighting about? Now, I read a very interesting article earlier this week, again, on this hair issue where this author was arguing for how long in black township and rural schools have kids who've come with dreadlocks been turned away from the school gates because we as black people have decided that those dreadlocks were not neat and were not welcome in the school. For how long have those kids actually fought and said, but this is about my belief system. It's not even a hairstyle. I am Rastafarian as an example. To the extent that these kids get expelled anyway. Now, one of the kids uh, actually became a, 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 nas- a, a provincial case. She She got thrown out of school um, they put in a, a, an appeal with the, the with with the MEC Panyaza Lusufi. Uh, to cut a long story short, at the end of the day, she was allowed uh, back in. The, the the code of conduct of the school was then changed and effectively ruled out dreadlocks and was expelled again. And 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 she was out of the school. I did not hear a Nozi or Rory or any other black person in a place of privilege picking up on that issue and saying we have to fight for the black. 
the black people in township schools who are not getting in because our own bl- black brothers and sisters are saying that that's not needs. However, and they call this now, I think there's a new notion for it. They call it the privilege of platform. But an issue that gets visibility at Pretoria Girls High that has the right face and has the right cameras facing in that direction. Yes, we're going to pick up on that issue and that's the issue we're going to fight about. If we're going to pick up on issues and say that we're doing this for the rest of other people, can we be consistent about the issues that we're going to pick up on and not choose issues that serve our own platforms and improve our own visibility because we're lending to something that is actually, you know, that, that enjoys the privilege of platform. Nozi, as we as we begin to wrap up, um, should this should blackness then be? You've said a lot of things um, that again are going to force us to go back and think. Um, but is blackness something that we should be um, strengthening as a notion, or is it something that needs to be deconstructed now? Where where in in the life cycle of the construct of blackness are we? Given all of these things, it it just sounds like. There is a lot of confusion. There is a lot of... And maybe the confusion only exists for those that dare engage with the topic. And if you were just to ignore it and live your life, you won't be confused and you just be a human. Um, but again, that then uh, cuts you off from the historical context. And it cuts you off from the fact that there are black people that came ahead of you that sacrificed their lives as black people mm. in order for you to be where you are. So if you then decide, up, oh, I'm done then you cut off that chain that has actually brought you to this point where you are. Should we, are we at a stage though where it's like, you know what, we're done. It's time for us to now deconstruct the notion of blackness or should we be further defining it in order for us to understand it and not to understand our place in it? I don't think that we're at a place where we can do away with blackness because the social deficits that still to a very large extent um, determine our lived experiences still exist. Um, and because of that, I think there is a very real need for us to continue to try and better understand black, what blackness is. The first thing that I think is important for us to understand is that as much as we're, we've, we've crossed the, the line that says black people are not, not homogenous, let's also understand that blackness is not homogenous and that it lives in different social constructs and it changes um, across different spheres of life. And I think once we, once we allow ourselves the complexity and the multiplicity of, of, the, uh, of the problem that we're actually uh, engaging with and trying to understand, we're then actually able to have really authentic conversations about you know, to what extent does this blackness either, you know, pull me back or enable me to go forward? I'm not convinced that blackness only exists in relation to whiteness. I'm not quite sure about that. So I'm going to leave that. Um, but what I am saying is it's not enough to leave. We're not at the space where we can leave the conversation right now. I think that um, this has been fascinating to hear and really interesting to have your views, Nazib. So thank you so much for joining us, Nazib Mbanjwa. Um, what an interesting conversation. More to be had here. Just a, a leaving observation thought for me is do you think that part of this idea of being black and the shared collective feeling of being black and this is why rory you pick up the baton all the time is because part of being black is not being seen and so therefore the new narrative of being black is to be seen and so one picks up that baton 
whenever you feel like black people, me included, and I'm talking about you, not me, are being are not being seen. Therefore, I must pick up this issue. Yeah, I think uh, let's continue. This is a series, so there will uh, be more. Why do you not want to answer my um, question there, Robert? Because we run out of time. Ah, <laughs> and, it's a good question, Robert. there's a Rory. black woman who's coming after us, and I don't want to disadvantage her by taking her time. But it's a good question, Robert. It is a good question. Thank you so much. Nozibo, <laughs> <laughs> do you think it was a good question? Awesome question. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank uh, we you. appreciate your time. Right. Thank you so much. If you missed any of the show, check it out on cliffcentral.com forward slash, frankly speaking. Thank you to all our guests, Mpum Mashecho and Womandla is up next. Ciao, ciao. This is cliffcentral.com.